0: want to tell you just a little bit about myself and a story that happened in my life that was a pivotal moment for me that changed the way that I see the world and the way that I think about my identity as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we just invite your spirit once again. We know um, you've been invited to be here with us and we know that you are with us, but Lord... We don't want any distractions. We don't want anything to keep us from receiving a blessing that you have in store for us. So I just pray, Lord, now that you be with me, with my words, uh, with the hearts of each um, man and woman and young person that is gathered here this morning, Lord, so that we can hear the message that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, We heard some testimonies last night, and they're pretty dynamic, don't you think? But each of us comes to the foot of the cross with a different testimony. And my testimony is very different from some of the stories that we heard last night. In fact, I grew up in an Adventist home. And I have the distinction of being a fourth-generation Seventh-day Adventist. And my parents were very committed to making sure that we were involved at church. So I went to Sabbath school and to adventurers and to pathfinders. I was part of Adventist education and when I was in academy, I had the opportunity to be part of some of the first MAGA book programs that existed. So I was a canvasser. I was the religious vice president for our student body when I was in academy. And the story goes on. I went into college in the Adventist University. I served as a student missionary. I served as a literature evangelist leader for a summer program in the Southwestern Union. I took full advantage of all of the things that our church has to offer from a child all the way through to an adult to disciple me and to be mentored and to be educated in the things of God. And I even studied theology in college. So I began to work as a pastor and I attended the seminary at Andrews University for a brief period of time. So you can see that I had an Adventist pedigree, right? I have that Adventist pedigree. I never had a rebellious stage And so you see how my testimony is different from the testimonies that we heard last night. But I have to tell you that I was still in need more than the same amount of need as the young man who was doing drugs and and experiencing a, a walk that took him far, far from God. And it took this experience that I'm about to share with you to wake me up and help me to understand that. Because sometimes when we have that pedigree, Right when we've always known about God, when we've always received him in our lives, when we've always felt close to him, we we get confused about the priority of things. And so, one day I was traveling from Berrien Springs, Michigan, to Texas, taking a break from some of my classes while I was at the seminary, because my husband, who I'd been married to for seven years by that time, was still in Texas. So we were traveling back and forth, trying to make it work while I was attending the seminary. And so I was tired, and I was ready to get home to Texas. It had been three or four weeks since I had been home, and I was going to the airport, and as I went to the airport, there's one thing that I always love to do at the airport. Can you guess what it is? Watch the people. Yes, so there are some kindred spirits out here in the audience this morning. I love to watch people. And I love to wonder about their stories and to think about the connections and how certain couples got together or what the story is that brought them to that moment because you know there's so many different things that have to happen to bring people to cross the path at that exact moment. And I love those kind of stories. So when I went into the airport, I had a little bit of time and I thought, I'm just going to watch people. I don't really want to interact with anyone. I just want to sit quietly, meditatively, watch people and wonder about their lives. And so I found the perfect row of seats right there by my gate. There were about six chairs in a row, and it was at a major intersection in the airport where there were three main corridors coming together. So it was the perfect spot to sit and watch people. There was only one thing wrong with the row of chairs, and that was that there was somebody already sitting at one end of the row. But I thought, Okay, there she is, and I can sit at the opposite end and still not have to be bothered with conversation or other things like that. Now, typically, I'm a very social person. I love talking to people on the airplane, in the airport, in the elevator, in the line at the grocery store, wherever, you name it, I love starting a conversation. But that day, I didn't really feel like it. So I looked at the girl, who was kind of a shabbily dressed girl, dirty stringy, oily hair. She had her knees tucked up under her chest up on her chair and she had a dirty cap pulled way down low over her eyes. She was kind of just huddled there in her chair and I sat at the opposite end and began my people watching. And as I watched, of course, I was wondering about people and saying interesting uh, presentation there and here's a couple that you wonder how in the world they got together and just thinking of all of these great stories and Before long, there was a tap on my shoulder as I was sitting there minding my own business, and I look up, and it's the girl from the other end of the row. And of course, I'm thinking to myself, oh, great, because I knew what was coming. And she said to me, do you mind helping me get something to eat? And, you know, anyone who knows me, my husband will tell you, too, that I give away a lot of things to people who are begging or in need. And in fact, I've been scolded before not to do that because it doesn't help them. But I just can't help it because I just feel compassion for people. And I felt compassion for this young woman, even though she was interrupting my quiet time. And so uh, being the responsible helper that I am, and after being scolded a few times for helping people in what was perceived to be the wrong way, I said to her, well, I don't typically give money, but I can buy you some food. And there was a McDonald's right next to us. And I said, there's a McDonald's there. I can get you something. And to my surprise, this young woman said to me, I don't really like McDonald's, but I guess it will be fine. And can you imagine how I felt? I was thinking, wow, how can she afford to be picky and ungrateful when she's begging inside of me? You know, I was having that thought, but I refrained from saying something like beggars can't be choosers. And we went over to the line at McDonald's, and I got her a meal. She ordered something there from the menu, and I got her a meal. And when we went back to the row of chairs, I decided to sit next to her, because now we were engaged, weren't we? We were engaged, and I thought, maybe this is a divine appointment. Little did I know what kind of divine appointment this was going to be. It was a life-changing experience for me. So I sat there, and as she ate, I started a conversation with her. And at first, she was not really interested in having a conversation. I think she just wanted to get what she needed and then get out of there. But as we talked, I I started asking her about her life, and, and she began to unfold the details of her story. And before long, I realized that in front of me sat one of the most pitiful, saddest people that I had ever encountered in my life. She was a young woman. I guess she had been about 18 when she had gotten married. And she had a baby about six months later, so you know the, the situation that was happening there. And she and her husband's marriage did not last long, so they had been divorced. And then she had a boyfriend that had gotten her into drugs. And because of the drugs, she had lost custody of her little boy. And then it just went downhill from there. She lost her job, and she found herself homeless on the streets of Chicago. And so she had been on the streets for three years, trying to get her life together, trying to figure out how she could get her son back, or at least see him. And she was tragic. It was a tragic story. And I asked her, don't you have any family, anyone who can help you? And as she began to tell me about her parents, the tears started streaming down her face. And she told me that her parents had been divorced long ago, and that Uh, her mother had died the year before from cirrhosis of the liver because she was an alcoholic, and she had no contact with her father. She had no one that could help her. And her, her days were spent really just trying to find a way so she could spend the night in a safe and protected area, and many times she would have to prostitute herself to find a place to stay or to get help, to get the things that she needed. And as I sat there listening to this story, I kind of Had a an out-of-body experience where I was looking down on on this girl and me sitting there together. We were almost the same age at that time, mid-twenties, looking down and seeing the contrast between this young woman and myself. Because here she was, a young woman that had literally lost everything. She had nothing and no one and no hope for that to change. And then here I sat with my pedigree, with my Adventist pedigree. And and mind you, my family life was not perfect when I was growing up. We had plenty of things going on in our home. And in fact, my parents were divorced as well. But I had the privilege of growing up in a home of faith where they taught me about Jesus. And I always felt God's presence in my life, even when the problems were happening in my home. And I saw that here we were, two young women that could have the same exact story. But our circumstances in life and our opportunities had taken us down different paths, and there we sat, the girl who seemingly had everything, and the other girl who seemingly had nothing. And at that moment, I realized that I didn't know what to say to encourage her. Because even though I knew about God's love, I thought, if I tell her, God loves you, what picture of his love would she have in light of her experience in her life if that's what god's love looked like i wasn't sure how she would respond to the knowledge that god loved her and wasn't going to leave her alone because she was alone she was abandoned she had nothing and no one and so i started to pray as i was just continuing small talk i was saying god This is your meeting that you set up. I was sitting over there minding my own business. Have you ever felt that way? And I'm thinking, if you designed this meeting, then, Lord, you're going to have to give me something to say or something to do to give to this young woman because I felt so inadequate. Because I knew even if I gave her a steps to Christ at that moment, it might encourage her, but it wasn't going to change the fact that she was going to leave that airport that night and probably have to go be a prostitute so she could have a warm place to sleep. It wasn't going to change the fact that she was addicted to drugs and that she didn't have a chance to go and see her son and she hadn't seen him for almost four years. Little boy. And she was just crying. And I thought, how do I encourage this young woman? What do I say? And as I was waiting for God to have one of these moments, you know, you've heard the stories, right? And maybe you've even experienced it, where you have a meeting, one of these clandestine meetings, one of these divine appointments, and the person that you're speaking to is so open to receiving the gospel that you're able to, like, have a conversion experience right then and there, and the two of you can kneel down and pray, and they give their heart to God. I thought, man, maybe this is one of those. And as we were talking she told me about her faith in God. And I was like, what? That she believed in God. She believed that God provided for her. And here I'm thinking, how can this be? But as I was waiting for God to come and make me the hero of the situation, right, so that I could say just the right thing and do just the right thing and I could leave that situation feeling good about myself with my Adventist pedigree, with my, with my Christian ability to come in and, and rescue, Right? I was waiting on God to do that, and and guess what? He was quiet. My mind was blank. There was nothing that I could do. And you know what? This was before glow tracks. I didn't even have a glow track that I could use to give her, to send her on her way with at least some words of hope. And as I sat there getting frustrated with God, wondering how this situation was ever going to be redeemed, um, something began to happen that I didn't know was going on. Pretty soon my flight was called and I had to board my plane. And I said to the girl, still trying to rescue the situation, you know, still trying to be profound, still trying to be the one that, that made the contribution, I said to her, you know, Mia, that was her name, I don't believe in coincidences. I believe that today you and I have met for a reason. I just don't know what that reason is. And without even a hesitation, the girl turned to me, and she said three words that changed my life. She said, I was hungry. Do you recognize those words? Here I sat waiting for God to show up. Here I sat getting frustrated with him. Here I sat actually not believing, not having the faith that he could make a difference in her life. Thinking that not only had God abandoned her, but he was abandoning me at that moment. There I sat thinking those things when this young woman already knew that God had shown up, met her need, and gone. And while I was wondering what to do, her need was met. I was hungry. And she knew it. She knew that God had provided for her need. And as I walked away from that that situation and I got onto my plane, I was kind of like in this foggy state of mind trying to figure out what had just happened. Because when she said it, that like a gong went off. Because I knew immediately that I had heard those words before. In Matthew chapter 25. Will you turn there with me? Matthew chapter 25. And this is a a scene of judgment happening here. And it says uh, in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Because the next thing he says is to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And this scene, of course, was just echoing in my mind as I was walking away from my experience with this young woman. And before you think that it was because... I felt convicted to serve the needy. It's not the lesson that I learned that day. Because I am a person who cares about the needy. I always give to the homeless on this corner. I contribute to community services. I've been down to the food bank to serve. It wasn't that. What I realized that day was that I almost missed the presence of God. God. Because as I sat there in that conversation, I was expecting Jesus to show up looking like me. And when those words came out of her mouth, the very words of Jesus Christ from Matthew 25, I realized that he had shown up that day looking like her. And there I sat trying to come to grips with the fact that all my life as I've read Matthew 25 and seeing the two groups, those on the right and those on the left, where have I always pictured myself? Where do you picture yourself? On the right, of course. On the right, of course. But I realized that day that I was in danger of trusting in my Adventist pedigree of thinking that I was going to be the best representation of Jesus Christ in the world around me. And there she sat. There I was, a girl who who looked like she didn't have any needs and the girl who had every need in the world. Yet, when I looked back at the situation, I realized that the one in the story with the most obvious need was not the one with the greatest need. The one that day with the greatest need was me. Because I had come to trust in the information and the knowledge and the experience that I had as a faithful Christian young person that I had had my entire life, my legacy, my pedigree. And I almost missed the presence of God because I expected him to look like me and not like her. And the words that came out of her mouth were his words. I was hungry. And the person that represented him in our story was her and not me. So I tell you this because this is a life-changing experience for me, because that was the day that I decided I wanted to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not that I wanted to have knowledge of Jesus, or the legacy of Adventism, or anything else, but I wanted to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, where I was learning from him, where I felt his character, and his love, and his compassion inside of me that I would never again be caught in a moment where I didn't trust that God could meet someone's need because I understood that he could meet my need. And then I discovered a wonderful story that had been a story that I had heard a thousand times or more, and I'm going to uh, talk about that with you this morning. The story is found in Luke chapter 10. Very, very familiar story. In fact, if I say the Good Samaritan... Is there anyone here who has never heard that story before? It's a very familiar story, isn't it? And this is the kind of biblical story that has actually crossed over into the lines of the secular world. Because everybody knows what a Good Samaritan is. You don't have to be a Bible student to know what it means to be a Good Samaritan. In fact, if you were to Google Good Samaritan, you would come up with millions of hits for websites and organizations and other things, Christian and non-Christian, that use the story of the Good Samaritan to base their, their outreach into the world. Even pagans are inspired by the Good Samaritan. So here we go. Let's take a look at this story and see how it connects to the story that I just told you. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion... An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, did you ever know that the Samaritan was a parable told in the context of a conversation between Jesus and this expert in the law? It doesn't just stand on its own. It's part of a conversation. The expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself you have answered correctly jesus replied do this and you will live but he wanted to justify himself so he asked jesus and who is my neighbor in reply jesus tells the story of the good samaritan but before we go to that story Let's take a look at the conversation that's happening between Jesus and the expert in the law. Number one, what does it take to be an expert in the law? Study, right? It takes a pedigree of some kind. So here we have an expert in the law, somebody who has made the study of Scripture a life's work. And here is this person coming to to stand in front of Jesus and... Testing him. Right away, we kind of get a view of something missing from this man's experience. He says to Jesus, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Is there anyone here this morning that can perceive a problem with that question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? This man has a fundamental misunderstanding of inheritance, doesn't he? Because what is it that you do in order to inherit eternal life? Right, you don't do anything, do you? You can't earn it. You can't earn an inheritance or buy it. An inheritance comes from a relationship. It comes from a relationship, and not only a relationship. When you receive the inheritance, what has happened to the other person in the relationship in general? They've died. They've passed away. Their life has been spent. So what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you think that Jesus heard the problem with the question? He certainly did. And then he says to the expert in the law, and this is what I love about Jesus, he's such a brilliant person, as well as an awesome God. He says to the expert in the law, you're the expert. How do you understand it? You tell me. And so the expert in the law replies with this wonderful answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, with strength, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, correct. You have the right answer. You know it. You know your Bible. You have the right information. Now do this and you will live. So Jesus was implying what when he said that? He's implying that this man is out of alignment, isn't he? That he knows something that he's not applying. Have you ever been in that circumstance? Where you know something that you are not applying? Where you know all the right answers, yet somehow something is missing? In your fundamental foundational connection with Jesus Christ? I experienced it that day, and several times since that moment that I met with the girl in the airport. But by God's grace, he continues to remind me of the priorities. So here we are, the expert in the law giving a great answer, but to justify himself, and why do we need to justify ourselves? Because we feel misjudged, or because we feel attacked, or maybe because we feel guilty. But this guy needed to justify himself that day because he understood exactly what Jesus was implying, that you have the right answer, but you don't have it right, right? And so he says, who is my neighbor? Now there's another problem. There's another problem here that's the same as the first problem. Notice the answer that the expert in the law gives, right? Love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Where do you think he gets that answer from? The Torah. Part of it is in the Torah. But there's another interesting conversation that happened in the Gospels. If you'll flip with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And of course this man was an expert in the law, so he knew the Torah well, didn't he? He knew. He knew the prophets and he knew the law. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34, tell me if you see anything familiar here. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees got together, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Sound familiar? Luke chapter 10, right? An expert in the law stands up to test Jesus. Only this time, look at this exchange. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And who replies with the answer this time? Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Whose answer was this? Jesus' answer right there in the the company of experts in the law. And then in Luke, we have another exchange between an expert in the law and Jesus. And this time, this answer comes out of whose mouth? The expert's mouth, right? I don't know if the expert in the law was the same guy or if he was there in the other exchange, but I think that he knew he had Jesus this time because he had heard those words come right out of Jesus' mouth. And he knew if he gave that as an answer, there was no way that Jesus was going to tell him it was wrong. So even if he didn't know why it was the right answer, even if he didn't understand it 100%, he knew it was the right answer. And Jesus knew it was the right answer, so he gave the answer. But Jesus was catching him in his little scheme because he said, do it and you will live. He was pointing out the flaw. And listen very carefully back to Luke chapter 10. What happens when the man tries to justify himself? Now remember, his answer had two parts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. But when he's trying to justify himself, do you notice anything missing? In order to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? What's missing? His original answer had two parts, didn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So here we are. What's missing? Jesus tells the story of the Samaritan to tell the man what's missing. What's missing is, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. If he really wanted to justify himself, he could have said, how do I love God, and who is my neighbor? But instead, he skips right over loving God, because you know why? he thinks he's got that. That's the part he's certain of. But listen to what Jesus tells him. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But, and this is where the story changes, isn't it? But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now if you're like me, we we have focused on that go and do likewise Very much because it's the command at the end of the story, right? Like, go and be like the Samaritan. In fact, most of my life I have looked at this story and I have felt like the Samaritan represents me because that's how I'm supposed to be, right? Because doesn't it say, go and do likewise? And so we follow the example of the Samaritan. When I look at the story, I see myself represented by the Samaritan. But who is it that Jesus is talking about in this story? Very quickly, let's review again the actions of the Samaritan and see if you can hear who Jesus is describing. He traveled from where he was and came to where the man was. He saw him and took pity on him. He bandaged his wounds and soothed it with oil and wine. And in the Bible, well, first of all, what what is the oil and wine for? What is the wine for? To clean the wounds and disinfect. And the oil? To soothe. Right? So he cleans and he soothes the wounds of the man. He carries him to a place of safety. He takes care of him. He pays all of his expenses. And then he promises to return and to repay. Who is Jesus describing? Himself. This is a clear picture of Jesus himself. And he is answering the question of the expert in the law, who is my neighbor? But he's not answering that question. He's answering the missing piece. And what's missing? Who is my God? Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? But Jesus says, no. Before we jump over to the neighbor to find out what you have to do, Let me tell you who your God is and what I have done for you. And you know, the expert in the law, he he gets it. Who is a neighbor to the man? But he's so disgusted by the fact that it's a Samaritan, and you know why, right? Because the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. And it's not because they were their enemies, it's because they were mixed with their own blood. The Samaritans were from the northern kingdom where many attacking kingdoms have come down. And so when the Assyrian kingdom came down and mingled with the Jews, they bred a new breed of half-breed Jews and Assyrians, and they became the Samaritans. And so this man just could not say it was the Samaritan. He had to say the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus then says, go and do likewise. What Jesus is saying is, until you understand who your God is, Until you understand what he has done for you, what I have done for you, you can't worry about your neighbor. Because then it's about who you are and what you're doing and your pedigree and your expertise. But when you realize that before I found you, you were left alone, beaten, robbed of your inheritance, and isn't that what the man was looking for? What do I need to do to get my inheritance? And what is Jesus telling him? You don't need to know anything, expert. You have all the right answers, and you still don't have it. It's what you need to, who you need to be in relationship with. That's what inheritance is about. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, be in relationship with me. Let me rescue you. How much sense would it have made for the man who had been beaten, robbed, stripped, and left for dead to drag himself to the inn? to be healed there so that he could go and meet us. How much use would he be to another person in need in that condition? Yet don't we do that in our own spiritual lives? Aren't we satisfied to have all of the information and the right answers, yet somehow not understand that we are the ones that are in the deepest need? That as we're laying there helpless and hopeless, that even the religious leaders who pass us by may Pass us by in faithfulness to the law that was given to them. Because we criticize the priest and the Levite, don't we? For passing by, for not paying attention to the man. We think, wow, how unholy is that? But in Leviticus chapter 21, we have some instructions for the priests and the Levites that say that they're not supposed to touch a dead person and defile themselves. That's God's command for them. So maybe, just maybe, instead of being haughty, they were being obedient When they left that man on the road, have you ever left someone broken and hurt in the name of obedience? But the Samaritan, when he came and saw him, he took pity on him. And Jesus' command was to go and do likewise. Be like the Samaritan. Be like the Samaritan. Because as the priest and Levite walked by, there was one problem with their obedience because the man was only half dead and they were responding to the wrong half of the man but the samaritan when he came he came to rescue what was left and he saved him and not only that he's teaching him a lesson to say when you recover when you receive healing when you understand who your god is then go out and rescue more people from the road I think of the innkeeper and I think boy I think do you think this guy was a moron to trust a stranger right to say oh I'll pay you for all the expenses I'll pay you when I come back or do you think like I tend to believe that the, the innkeeper and the Samaritan in the story must have known each other because he he could trust that the Samaritan would return and repay him for all the things that he spent don't you think Makes me wonder if maybe one time the innkeeper was rescued from that very road by that very Samaritan. And as he was rescued, they decided to go into business together to make a safe place of healing and safety for those that came along that road and needed to be rescued. And they partnered together, and the innkeeper knew that the Samaritan would always keep his word, that he would return, and that he would repay, and this very important thing, that you can never outspend the Samaritan. He says, take care of him. And when I return, I will repay everything that you have spent on his behalf. Here's my question. When Jesus comes back, Think again of that scene in Matthew 25. When he returns and he comes to settle accounts with you and with me, when he comes to see how much we have spent on the behalf of others, will he have a big sack of repayment for you and for me? Or will it be a pittance, barely noticeable in the grand scheme of things? You and I need to decide today whether or not we are going to allow the Samaritan, number one, to rescue us. Because as much knowledge and information and pedigree and history and expertise that we may have, unless we are saved and rescued by Jesus Christ, none of that will be worth a thing. We won't have an inheritance based on those things. The only way to receive the inheritance that has been prepared for us is to be in relationship with the one who saves And once we experience that salvation, then and only then will we know how to go out and to have that experience shared with those that are on the road, desperate and needy, and waiting to be rescued. Then and only then. My challenge for you, my charge for you, is that you don't ignore your own condition because you're looking out on the world and seeing how sad and pitiful they are and that you don't miss out on the opportunity to experience God's presence because you were expecting to show up looking like him, when in reality, he had to send somebody else looking like a homeless beggar to save you. That's my challenge for you this morning. Because many of us in this room have a pedigree. And many of us might be tempted to rely on that pedigree to get us somewhere in the end but in the end, it is only Jesus. And it is only because of him that we have a tract or a book or anything good to offer when we knock on a door. It is only because of him that the person on the other side of that door or the person that we meet on the street or the airport or anywhere else will receive a blessing because we were there or because he was there. It's only because of Jesus. He is the Samaritan. And we can only be like him. But in order to be like him, we have to know him. And we have to experience him. Will you stand with me this morning as we pray? Lord God, we are so grateful for your mercy. We are so grateful that even though we think we know it all, that you still have something to teach us. And Lord, I am so grateful for Matthew 13, 52, where it says, when a teacher of the law, becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven. That person is like a homeowner who goes into their storehouse and brings out new treasures as well as old. Lord God, you want to bring us new things, new life, new stories, new experience. You want to save us. You want to rescue us. You want to do that in spite of us. And you want to do it for the sake of others. Praise God that you have sent Jesus to do that for us. I pray, Lord, that you will open our eyes, that you will crush our pride, that you will clear away our blindness that we may have that has been shaped by our own righteousness, Father, and that you will help us to understand that it is only by the blood and the saving power of Jesus Christ that we are worth anything today, that we have anything to offer. And Lord, help us to cling to you When you find us there on the road, desperate and in need, and when we finally see our need for the first time, Lord, help us not to resist the Samaritan. Help us to accept your rescue with open arms and with utter helplessness. And then, Father, please, as we are healed and rescued, help us to spend on your behalf so that when you come again, you come with a large reward to repay what has been done for your kingdom. We pray this and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.